0: Yep.
1: Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff free, unfiltered, full strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. And we are back. So, listen, we had a fun time yesterday. Hopefully, you guys all enjoyed it as much as we did on the podcast. The topic, and I believe, Julie, we're going to get through this today, um, of today's show is do you really think? You have what it takes to be rich, part two. You guys can tell when I've had my coffee when I'm writing these titles. They're, they become a little bit more salacious. Yes, more <laughs> dramatic. Uh, Mike, close to your mouth, lady. Do you really think mm-hmm. you have what it takes to be rich, part two. So before we start out uh, today on and hopefully finishing up these uh, this presentation for all of you, I um, would like to remind all of you that the new book, Harris Rules, is in pre-sale right now, but we'll start will be shipped the first week in June. Um, We have been told, though not completely verified yet, but we have been told that the first run of books may be sold out from pre-sales. So we're also told that it's going to be on all the major bookstores and all the rest of it. So we're really looking forward to it. The first book was sort of like an unprecedented success, more than we thought. Uh, We thought the first book, the first version of Harris Rules that came out two years ago, Julie – uh, would be just essentially. We knew you guys would like it, our podcast listeners and our coaching clients. What we didn't expect to have happen was that so many people that really had no connection to us would find the book so appealing, and that's what happened. So normally a book is just essentially you're going to write it for the, you know, if you're uh, if you're operating on the level that we are, you're operating in such a way that you're going to want to continue to provide useful information and encouragement to the people that. Have chosen to listen to what you have to say I mean that's in essence how you all have your businesses and that's a, you know you the ever-expanding mindset or I always need to do more and always need to do this the other thing that usually comes at the cost of the quality of the service that you're trying to provide to the you know the people that have chosen to do business with you and what you'll find in life in general is that you don't need well depending on what you're trying to sell right but you don't need like billions of customers Unless you're like Google right, or Facebook or you know selling maybe cars, I don't know, but as a small business owner, which all of you are, you don't need billions of customers, you need hundreds of customers over a period of time that will uh, entrust you with their re- as their source of their professional resource for information and, and whatnot and this is you know, I know I'm speaking to folks that are not just in real estate, because we have a lot of listeners that are not just in real estate. So the moral of the story is, is that we thought the book, the original book, the red book, was just going to appeal to the people that were already listening to us and paying attention to us. What we didn't expect to have happen was that the book would all of a sudden create new audiences for us, which I have to say really surprised the hell out of me. I totally and completely didn't expect that. It became a bestseller on Amazon. Just, you know, just uh, there's. A normal book, a bestseller, and I didn't even know this either until after the Red Book came out, a normal bestseller book in its entire life cycle sells something like, I read different numbers, but let's just all agree, less than 5,000 uh, books. So did you hear what I just said? So a normal best-selling book, now remember, you guys are all thinking New York Times bestseller selling millions of copies. No, I'm just saying, as a rule, a normal best-selling book will sell less than 5,000 copies ever, so our book in all formats, digital format, audio format, you know, book format, it's sold like tens of thousands of uh books. That's what really again, that just tells me that we are on target with delivering a message that a is under easily understood but also, frankly, that you guys are wanting to hear because you're sick of having to, you know, listen to people that are just trying to sell you raw, raw, you know, fluff. There's certainly a lot of fluff in our industry, people that are just trying to motivate you, not giving you any actual information. But I think you also the other thing is, and I think this is true, is that intuitively um, when you hear what Julie and I are saying, it just makes sense, and you can't really argue with what we're saying, and there's no gray area in what we're saying. Um, And that's, I think – I appreciate the fact that you guys appreciate that, too, because it's not easy to cut through all the Mickey Mouse that's out there. And Julie and I have had to really work at this. You know, someone asked me, I was being interviewed for a podcast the other day, and someone asked me, like, do I consider myself an expert? And, like, I wasn't really sure what they were asking as to an expert as to what, so I asked them to define it. What do you mean, an expert at what? And their their reply was an expert at being a real estate coach. And I said, yes, I do. I I know I am. And so is Julie. And so are some of our other coaches, you know, they're experts at being real estate coaches. That's what you get for having done done the same thing for over long periods of time and help other people accomplish their goals. And, you know, otherwise you wouldn't have been in business for very long if you weren't working towards expert status. But when asked, the secondary question is, what else are you an expert at? I really didn't have any clear answers. Because that's what being an expert at one thing and being hopefully what all of you are striving for is to be the best at one thing. Chances are you're going to just be average and neutral and mediocre about virtually about everything else. So professionally speaking, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm an expert at anything else other than coaching. I'll tell you one thing for sure. Julie and I are better at this than we ever were selling real estate, and we were some of the most successful real estate agents in the history of the industry. You know, we sold over 100 houses our first year in our early 20s. That record was, you know, that was a new record then, and from what I've been told, it hasn't been broken. So I think the reason that our book is so successful and the reason the new one's even going to be more successful is because you guys gave us permission to even be more true to how we think. And uh, the new book, and Julie did such a kick-ass job of really drilling down and getting to the essence of what it takes to be successful in real estate and business. So please do consider pre-ordering the book on Amazon. Uh, all you have to do is just go to Amazon, and the search bar, just put in Harris Rules. That's it. And then the book will pop up. It's a green book. Um, and uh, yeah, order the teal book. And you'll be off to the races, and then hopefully we'll be coming out with an audio version and a you know other versions down the road. But don't wait for the audio version because there's nothing um, scheduled right now. It's just going to be released in paperback, and then maybe the audio version will come out. I don't even know that. Like I said, it's not even scheduled. We're still talking with the publisher about it. So, Julie, I still am impressed, and I probably will always be impressed with the excellent job you did on the book. So I say once again publicly, thank you very much cool. for kicking such thank you. huge really amounts of that. ass on that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I
0: still, Good. I'm still anything you'd from like it, to share so, with, thank
1: you. Go ahead. Anything you'd like to share with the listeners from Facebook or any of your emails from any of your clients, anything that you think would be beneficial to these tens of thousands of people listening to us right now?
0: Well, you know, it's been interesting over at Premier Coaching. As you know I do the live daily coaching call right after this podcast. And try a little
1: closer, Jules. Because, try a little closer.
0: Because Okay, sorry. Because it's a live call, the premier coaching calls, I never know what their questions or conundrums are going to be. Every day is different, <clears throat> but sometimes a week will take on a theme. So, it's, you know, these guys are great because I don't get these questions like, how do I get ready to get started to overcome my mindset and possibly pick up the phone and do some lead follow-up. They, these guys are so good with their real-world questions. I get things like, you know what, I was door-knocking and expired yesterday. I did really well until they said this. Can you help me with that? And so it's not just helping that client, but we turn those into coaching examples so that everybody listening can gain confidence, know what to say, know what to do. Sometimes it's, you know, negotiating something that's gone sideways. And oftentimes, it's so fun for me to see. uh, We have somebody who's been sharing the creation of their open house spoke, okay? And so You know, we've had podcasts about open houses and how to not just sit them, but how to monetize them. And so the topic has been, you know, creating that as a legitimate, predictable, dollar-productive spoke. And so we've been hearing the feedback as this has been going. And yesterday, we all did a little bit of open house math, okay, because this particular client who's probably listening right now in Huntington Beach, he had uh, five unrepresented buyers come through. And because he used the script, which home do you plan on selling in the neighborhood? He found out that two of them had listings that they would need to sell, homes they would need to sell. So he had seven that he converted because he called them the same night as the open house. We calculated that's about ninety thousand dollars worth of potential commissions, seven new deals to help people with, and whatever that will cause with repeat and referral because he'll do a killer job, and that. By spending Louis calculated how many hours he spent between preparing, uh, knowing the neighborhood, getting the open house signs out, doing the open house itself and the follow up was a total of six hours. Okay. So after all was said and done, I think he ended up technically making about thirteen grand an hour for his efforts. You know, he has to do the deals, so that'll get diluted as we go through it. The point is For the people who say, "Oh, that's too hard, or that's too complicated, that's too much work," open houses don't work. I sat one last weekend; didn't work. Okay, there is an art to it. So we've had a lot of fun discussion on that since you asked. But uh, kudos to you guys who take action. I think is the bottom line here. Back to you.
1: Well, so but here's the thing that what you just said. Okay, so we have as far as premier coaching and premier coaching, we have a very detailed, specific uh, open house plan designed around generating leads. Now, some of you are going to have snotty attitudes about doing open houses uh, because you think somehow you've evolved beyond it. But here's what I want you to realize, and I'm not going to pick on you too much, but I want you to open your mind to what I'm about to say. As the world moves more to online lead generation, because obviously agents are being seduced into believing they don't have to do any real work, like for example, an open house, so they're going to be buying more and more leads companies like Zillow and you guys already know this if you're long-time podcast listeners are going to rob you, fleece you, charge you to the point where there's no sense in you even being in real estate you just go get a job at Home Depot. I mean after all they give you a bitch and free orange vest, okay? And great health insurance by the way for real. But the moral of the story is is that what you're going to discover is that the real work are the things that the tech companies cannot compete with you on, and that's the reason that you need to double down on the real work. And that's what we teach you, because you cannot be disintermediated. You can't have a tech company bought on an iPad sitting and doing a decent job in an open house. doesn't work. And a matter of fact, you can't even probably get somebody from an iBuyer company to ever do an open house. That's not part of their plan. You know what I'm saying? You guys understanding what I'm saying? So the more things go online and the more these tech companies dominate uh, essentially, the online lead generation, the more you have to realize that there's a theres you know when the going gets tough sometimes the smart leave and you guys should write that down because it 's counterintuitive when the going gets tough, the smart leave so if you 're finding that the online lead generation and the Facebook ads and all these gimmicky things that you guys are so seduced by, if you 're finally accepting the fact that those things are not going to be uh, consistent if they worked ever at all. Then you're going to have to embrace the things that Julie and I teach, which are the things that are going to put you directly in front of your potential customers. You guys see the difference? That's what we want you to accept. If you're wanting to know your ultimate strategy to you know, compete in the iBuyer world, it's There's a whole bunch of, you know, we could talk forever about coming out with your own iBuyer program and all the rest of it, but the real way is is to get in front of consumers and explain to them the math of doing an iBuyer program. Learn how to sell. That's what you guys are avoiding. Once you know how to sell in a world where everybody else is avoiding learning how to sell and doing the real work, you will dominate way more so than in the past. Uh, Look, Zillow came out, and when did we tell you guys originally about the fact that they're on this path? Two years ago, they're going to now start selling you guys leads for referral fees. Look, on the surface, hey, I get it. A referral fee is not a necessarily bad way to go. But the way it's going to work is the referral fee is going to be essentially you're going to have to play in their ecosystem. They're going to essentially score you. Based on a whole bunch of things, and they're going to control you, and then you're going to have to jump through their fiery burning hoops. And these are for buyer leads, guys. You're going to have to jump through their fiery burning hoops just to get a buyer lead. How long did Bob take to call them back? What was you know? We're going to survey that buyer after Bob's supposed to call back and find out if Bob asked the right questions that we told them to ask. And did Bob refer us how many mortgages last quarter? Did Bob actually? Does Bob have a you know a Zillow rating of you know review rating and that, 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 that. so? they are going to end up controlling your interface with consumers. Is that what you want? Oh, and by the way, are they doing that for free? Nope. Referral fees, big ones. Uh, you want to asked what the referral fees are, they said market rates. I'll tell you what the referral fees are going to be. Market rate might start out at 25 or 30%, but market rate is going to end up being 50%. You watch. And then some of you guys who are getting into the business or have these really crappy commission splits, you're going to not realize, you're not going to do the math. You're not going to you know, put two and two together. You're going to get a commission check. You're going to have a big old referral fee. It's not just Zillow that's going to be doing this. A lot of companies are doing this. They're making billions off the fact that you're too lazy to learn sales skills and do the real work. I'm being brutally honest with you. That's the only reason these companies exist, because you're not willing to do what we ask you to do. You know, you're not willing to actually make the make the calls, make the contacts. You're not really willing to see yourself as a great salesperson. Do the open houses. Put yourself, you put yourself uh, in the marketplace between the customer and the house that they want to buy. Because right now, what's happening? It goes customer, Zillow, you, house they want to buy, back to Zillow. Get what's happening? And all these other companies are going to try to do the same thing. It's a good business model you know, for them because there's always going to be you know, new ranks of agents who are never going to be told that they have to do what Julie and I are suggesting that they learn how to do, or be, maybe even being told that they have to do what Julie and I are suggesting they have to do, and they don't want to do it. So there's always going to be a ready, willing, and able market of agents out there that aren't willing to really drill down and be professional and develop the skill set that's necessary. That's just a fact. So those businesses will stay in business, but the agents who are uh, buying that business from those companies, they might as well, and I mean this truthfully, guys, do the math on it. After taxes, after you pay the referral fee, after you pay your broker, after you figure out how many hours you put into that transaction, divide that out. You would have been better working at Home Depot for 20 or $25 an hour. I'm not kidding you. I know it's kind of funny and some of you are snickering, but it's true. Depending on what your price range is, it's true. So when Julia is suggesting you, you know, based on her feedback as far as the open house goes, you know, that's something that some of you I know are going to be too arrogant and lazy to really drill down on. But it's your it's a what's your why? Why would you think like that? Depending on what you're holding open half of those buyers, you know, are going to have houses to sell. Don't you guys see the bigger opportunity here? This is how you think. This is how you have to think if you want to be rich from selling real estate. And this is a perfect segue for Julie to pick up where she left off yesterday. But before she does, remember, guys, if you've not yet completed your real estate treasure map, if you don't have your fill-in-the-blank business plan done yet for 2019, number one, shame on you. Number two, it's not too late. We're going to give it to you for free. All you have to do is text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. Text the word Harris to 31996, and we will send you not only that book but five other books, and you'll be entitled to a free coaching call with one of our new member coaches. So text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996.
0: Julie? Yes. So speaking of building wealth in real estate, we took the math from that one open house to the next level just for fun to test out if he just had that kind of success just once a month how much that would be worth. So we had everybody on the call figure out their average net commission to them times, let's just say, three or four closable deals from one kick-ass open house per month. I mean, that's a viable spoke. In other words, to not take that seriously, you're walking away from that potential income. No bueno, so just saying. Okay, since we're talking about wealth creation, trying to figure out which point we, we stopped on. Did we talk about – these are a lot of pitfalls that, that – Uh, agents fall into that prevents them from wealth creation. We talked a lot already today on point number four, blowing too much on buying leads, trying shiny new things out and speculating on lead generation, gambling on the easy button versus investing in your own skill set. So I think we covered most of that point. Point number five, getting behind slash staying behind with your taxes. This is something that is still far too prevalent. Nobody educates agents in the front end or through the brokerage or anywhere else. Agents learn the hard way by getting behind. And then because of the, uh, tax, the interest and penalties, it's really hard to pull out of that. Penalties and interest suck, and the IRS doesn't negotiate. Some of you guys think that you'll just cut a really great deal with them. Yes, there can be payment pr- plans, and yeah, they'll work with you a little bit, but it's not like most people think so. If you've never had that problem, make the commitment to be on time with your quarterlies, to set aside money, to embrace the fact that when you get a five or ten thousand dollar commission check, that is not all your money. I'm sorry about that. I can't fix it for you. Just be good about it so that it doesn't kick your butt in the future. Far too many examples from newer agents that owe maybe you know fifteen hundred bucks on up through the stratosphere. We've known top producing agents that have a net income of more than a couple million a year, that get behind. You want to be behind a, a little bit? Imagine how far behind they were at those numbers and then add interest and penalties. It's real hard to climb out. So if you and have a problem, commission never having it again. Go ahead.
1: Well, but look, guys, this is all part of the real Seriously? estate treasure map. This, This is all part sure. of the real estate treasure map, and the real estate treasure map – we tell you how to set up your accounts, we tell you how to think like a business person, we tell you how to pay yourself first. We set this is all done for you. So download the real estate treasure map, text the word HARRIS H A R R I S to 31996. Julie?
0: Yes, you got it. So, related to that and there it went. Okay, so related to that is number 6. This is a, a big mistake people make and it can haunt you for years. And that is not having health insurance or not having adequate health insurance. It doesn't take much. We had a friend that, you know, I think she had health insurance, but it wasn't very good. She tripped and fell down a uh, staircase, a basement staircase. She's from Florida. They're not used to having basements. Got up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom at her friend's house in Pennsylvania, opened the wrong door, and basically ended up with a concussion at the bottom of the steps. Laid there for a few hours before anybody discovered her. Ended up in the hospital for almost a month. I think her bill that she owed was over 300000 after applying some insurance. So make sure you know what you're dealing with with your health insurance and not having it at all. you it, it Just the clock is ticking before. I hope nothing happens to you, but I think that's not a good way to go through life. So easy to fix. Point number seven, thinking that you'll get rich one day from your commissions versus understanding it's what you do with your commissions that creates wealth. We could probably write a book just on that thought. So the mistake and we is, should. <laughs> yeah. Well, the mistake is thinking that it's going to come from your commissions, or from some big commission doing both sides one day on your most giant listing, you know rolling the dice and being speculative, versus understanding that it's incremental, just like put paying yourself first. We talked about that. paying yourself first, at least 10 percent off the top of every check. That's where it starts so that you'll have something to actually invest with and then the 20% to the taxes, so you won't have that problem, and then learning how to invest what's left. And In fact, in the back of the new Harris Rules book, there's a big section about how to start creating that wealth and what to do with your commissions. And again, I think that should be CE credit. I think that should be something that every agent is taught early on in their career, but I guess I'm glad that they're not because that's job security for us as podcast hosts and coaches. (laughs) We've got to clean up what's not taught. So point number eight, hanging out with people doing and making less than you who think you're the freak versus expanding your exposure to well-adjusted wealthy types who are also philanthropic and believe in abundance. In other words, you might say a lack of exposure to wealth can be something that makes it so you never have any wealth, just not having good exposure. And you know, when we talked about how to choose a broker – and that maybe it's the time to make a switch if you're always number one in your office, you are doing this. You're hanging out with people doing and making less than you. And even though it feels good to be a rock star in your office, perhaps it's time to upgrade those you associate with so that you've got better exposure to wealth and you know what healthy wealth looks like, people who handle it well, who are comfortable with it, who do philanthropic things and meet and exceed their goals. Why? Because they're able to help enough people at a high enough level that they can do that. If you're I not surrounded by level, that, you need to change. Go ahead. I, I want to
1: add something to what you just said, Julie, because I want to say something that's going to, again, seem counterintuitive, and I've been thinking a lot about this. A lot of wealthy people feel a need to rich person virtue signal. Okay, that's I just mm-hmm. thought that term, but here's the gist of it, and Julie just said it, and it's a normal thing to, for people to say that when you're rich, you're supposed to give your money away. I don't think that's true, and I'll tell you why I don't think that's true, I think that the way you make a contribution to society is by providing the services and products that people would want to buy at a high level, and that in itself is significant and sufficient for your contribution to society society. So I know again this, and look, guys don't run too far with this, but I want to really help you understand this. And like I was Julie and I were sitting at lunch with somebody not too long ago. And he was talking about – I mean, I knew how much money he made. He made millions and millions of dollars. And he was like every third sentence talking about all these philanthropic things and all the rest of it. And I stopped him, and I asked him whether he was aware of all this rich person virtue signaling he was doing. In other words, I'm rich, but look how generous I am, that type of thing, right? And he wasn't. He hadn't recognized the fact that that was something he'd just become conditioned to say. In other words, he was thinking I was judging him, or somehow resentful of him because of his wealth and success, and the way he was trying to you know sand deep notions that I may have had about his uh wealth, he was trying to say, "Look, I'm a rich guy, but i'm not a, I'm not an asshole i give a, I give the money while I help other people i mean that's the virtue signaling aspect of what he was doing, so I thought about that. And, and here's the, a contribution I'll make to Julie's point just as a counterbalance slightly to the you know, automatic perceived idea that once you're rich, you're supposed to give your money away. The way that we do it personally is when Julie and I donate money, we don't ever ask for the recognition of having donated the money. So when we give the money away, we're not doing it so people will you know, basically uh, say, look how generous Tim and Julie are. Matter of fact, when we give money away – We specifically will do it through uh, an entity that will not be traced back to our name, or if it's money, money, cash, Julie's writing a check, we'll ask them not to give us a damn big flower basket and some chocolates, to take the money that we just donated, and don't thank us with the money we just paid you. Go and actually put the money to work. Or the other thing we do is we give the money directly to the people that actually need it, and don't go through these intermediaries that inevitably will basically – Pull money out. So when we're giving money, when we're making a contribution, the way we do it is we do it without asking for the recognition, publicly or privately, for having made that contribution. Okay, that's the way we have always operated. Julian, I've always operated that way. So with that said, in our opinion, my opinion, if you're making a, your contribution to society, society is the success of your business. That in itself is sufficient. If you never give any other money, other than the money uh, that you, you know, obviously pay in taxes and whatnot, back, you will. You've de- you've lived a good, noble life because you have sold a lot of whatever it is that you have to sell. In your case, mo- most of you real estate services. So it is sufficient for you to have felt like you made a significant contribution to su- society. When you become successful because of the people that you've helped, the fact that there is a profit motive with your helping those people should not diminish the contribution you made to those people's lives. So hopefully I'm on target with, you know, hopefully maybe clearing the edge, clearing the clouds of how some of you are feeling obligated to think about wealth accumulation. And I really do believe what I just said is a new way of thinking about it. And look again, i if you have excessive amounts of money or if there's a charity that's near and dear to your heart, give it. Give the money, but don't do it with the idea that you're going to get public recognition for it. That in, it, Something about that, and I don't know what it is, has always felt unsavory to me. When you're giving money just so you can go to some gala and hang out with other people who can just basically stand around and congratulate each other on how generous and noble they are, I don't know. That kind of takes the edge off the actual point of the giving in the first place, doesn't it? So I'm just throwing that in there, just to give somebody maybe some uh, ammunition to write me a dirty email. Tim at timandjulieharris.com. Julie, do you want to get to another point? <laughs> that's
0: sending <to> me. <laughs> no, I have to get to premiere, but I think that you know you you talk about. I I sometimes call it wealth guilt when people do that, yeah. and you know I think you make an excellent point that the reason that you have that money is because you did a great job, and that's okay. You wouldn't have it had you done a crappy job. And so sometimes I tease our agents on Premier when they're like all, you know, they can't believe that they got this crazy referral from the real estate gods and how lucky they are. And, you know, you don't generally see things like that if you did a crappy job. It continues to snowball because you're taking good care of your clients and prospects. That's the reason you get the paycheck. That's okay. You don't have to feel weird about that. It just means you did a good job. More, More businesses need to feel that way. So, well, I you know I guess I guess
1: sometimes no this is good actually Julia uh, I know you guys, I don't want to make you late for your call so excellent yep. job so guys I'm gonna give you a book to read a suggestion anyway uh, read profits aren't everything the only thing it's I promise you Julia and I are the only ones in the real estate industry that will ever suggest you read that book because it's so anti like all the trends that are in real estate right now the feel good trends this book is not that, and I want you to read that book, I personally love it, I read it usually once or twice a year, listen to it actually, so profits aren't everything, they're the only thing, so ultimately, what happens when you're stuck in this paradigm of feeling like you have to constantly be balancing your um, odd feelings about being successful and wealthy, if you start then overcorrecting and start focusing too much on the, the charities and the things that don't pay you, you're going to go broke. And that's the thing I've seen actually happen with some coaching clients or podcast listeners. You spend too much time volunteering, too much time with this virtue signaling, too much time thinking that in order for people to do business with you, they have to see you, you know, giving out soup. And look, I'm not saying you shouldn't be generous with your heart and your time. I am saying that. But I'm saying your greatest opportunity to make contributions to society and people in general are becoming the best version of you as a salesperson. And unless you're really damn good at what you do, the best expert status is going to draw the show show to a close. Unless you're actually an expert at what you do, a real expert where uh, essentially there's no real estate situation that you cannot uh, succeed in, Unless you're at that level, you honestly should not be volunteering anywhere. You need to get better at your job. You need to really become good at what you do because that's the highest and best use of your time. Not only will it obviously take care of you financially, becoming really, really great at something, but it's also going to make it so the people who choose to do business with you are also going to have an exceptional experience. Do you guys see how that's perhaps the greatest way for you to make a contribution to society, not just writing a check to some – Charity that you think will make you, you know, appeal to a certain group of people. Do you guys understand the point I'm trying to make? Maybe it's too obscure. Like I said, it's a relatively new thought for me. It's something I'm working on. So look, Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. If you need Julie and I for anything at any time, feel free to email us. Um, Past podcasts, of which there's thousands, are available over on iTunes. They're available on our main website, TimAndJulieHarris.com. Guys, it is our pleasure and truly our honor to provide this podcast for you every single day, the continued success of this podcast and, frankly, our book, is because what we're saying resonates with you. We always read your emails. We always appreciate your feedback, and we certainly love the fact that so many of you have spread the word about what we're trying to, you know, hopefully what we're trying to help all of you with, which is basically return sanity to real estate. So if there's anything we can do for you, please email me directly, Tim at com or Julie at com.